So we're going to start a brand new study tonight uh, on Wednesday nights going through the book of Revelation. And honestly, I, I don't know how long this is going to take. So just, I guess just strap in. We might be here for a while. But um, I really do want to take our time. I mean, I, I feel like the Wednesday night crowd uh, comes wanting especially to be fed. And I want to try to do that for you. And, uh, you know, Revelation is, it should be a really special book to the believer. And uh, the, the Revelation reminds me, it's kind of like when you, if you've ever been on a long trip and, you know, you, you're driving back home and maybe it's been a really long ride, you're getting in super late or maybe your flight landed late and you're just so tired, you just can't wait to get in your bed. And you start getting on those roads that are really close to home and it's like you get that, that second wind because you know it's fixing to happen. That's what Revelation is like to us. And I think Revelation, uh, obviously there's been a lot of confusion. I think a lot of misinterpretation or misrepresentation. I won't try not to do that. Uh, I will say this though, the only way that you can really get what you ought to out of it is if Jesus Christ is the central focus. It's not about Israel. It's not about the really the great tribulation. I mean, all that's involved in it. But the, the really the theme, and that's why I put it even in our first slide, the theme of Revelation is the unveiling of Christ. It is the revealing of Jesus Christ. It's not the revelation of John. It's not revelations, plural. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ to John. And so... Yes, there's a, a huge futuristic aspect to it. There's no doubt about that. We're going to look at that, try to keep everything in context, and try to go at a speed where we can, you know, really understand and take in everything. I, I don't pretend to understand it all. I haven't met anybody that does, and I'd be really weary of somebody that said they did. But the truth is, uh, the book of Revelation and the prologue, it is the only book in the Bible that promises a blessing to the reader. Now, if we couldn't understand anything in it, it would be awful hard to get a blessing from it, wouldn't it? Mm -hmm. And so we're going to try to walk through things. But y'all know me. I don't want you just to know the issue. I want you to know the issue behind the issue. And so before we even really get into the book itself, I want to spend tonight, possibly next week, depends on how fast we get through tonight, um, talking about some issues related to eschatology and end-time study in general, because as I've mentioned, I, I do think this is important because, and I understand the argument, like I said, I am dedicated to the pre-tribulation rapture position. I believe it. We're going to see it from the scriptures, but there's a lot of people that don't believe that in the Christian church. There's a lot of seminaries that don't teach that. Um, it's not the the historical position. I, I mentioned it's really only about 120 years old, give or take. And, you know, as somebody who's really dedicated to church history and dedicated to trying to be right, you know, I, I try to be, I try to understand at least where they're coming from. And I think that's important when you look at this issue as a whole. Why, why are there so many people that, that kind of seem uh, allergic to the idea of a pre-tribulation rapture? And a lot of people are against a rapture in general. And really what it comes down to... Uh, and I've got a chart here, uh, just very simple chart that looks at the pre-tribulation rapture view. We're in the church age right now. 
the next thing we're waiting on is the rapture, the calling out of the saved, the church, the bride of Christ. And uh, then on the earth, you'll have the seven-year tribulation. Uh, the first three and a half years will be peaceful. The Antichrist brings his false peace. The, the next three and a half years are marked by judgment, the likes of which the world have never seen. God pours his wrath out upon the earth. And then at the end of the seven-year tribulation, right there at the Battle of Armageddon, the Lord returns to the earth with us to establish His thousand-year millennial kingdom. And that is our position. But here, here's the central issue. And this is what I want to talk to you about tonight. You know, I mentioned in our Mark study on Sunday morning that one of the linchpins of eschatology is what you think about the abomination of desolation, what it means and when it happens. But I would say even more important than that, this is the hinge upon which the door swings. And that is your view of Israel. What is Israel? And this is why this is so important, because um, I grew up and I was raised in a church that believed in what would be known as the full-blown dispensational position where when you see Israel in the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, anytime you see that word Israel, it's talking about a nation across the Atlantic Ocean over there. And that's just, I had that ingrained in my mind. But then as I began to read and study, I realized there was more to it than that. Now, the other side of that is the position that says that uh, Israel basically now is the church or that the church is Israel. The, the church has replaced Israel. And I don't believe that either. Um, I, believe it's, I believe it's both. I believe there's validity to both. And I'm going to try to show you those things. Because if you understand the balance, it will help you not to get in these ditches. Because um, I really honestly, um, if people heard me preach and teach this stuff, they would call me a dispensationalist. But I really don't like that title because there's a lot of things that dispensationalists preach that I just... I don't see it. I don't believe it. I don't go for it. I'm, if I am dispensational, it is in this one thing. I don't believe God is through with the nation of Israel. That would be the extent of what I believe concerning that. And so tonight, what I want to look at, I want to talk about the two Israels because I want to make the case that the church is a spiritual Israel. That is true. It's very. We're going to see that in black and white tonight. But... I don't think that God is through with the nation of Israel. I don't think those things are mutually exclusive. There's a lot of people that do. They think it's either or, and it can't possibly be anything but either or. But in order to really understand this, we have to go really back to the beginning when, when this starts, this one event. And so we're going to go to a few places tonight. Let's, let's begin in Genesis 15. What I really want to convey to you tonight... And this is where I think the dispensationalists get it wrong. Is they tend to make salvation out as nothing more than, you know, kind of a net that's kind of just been laid out. You know, God can trap some and some get through and bless his heart, he just tries so hard. And what I want you to see, and I don't think this is taught enough in our Baptist churches, is the... History of redemption, redemptive history, the intentionality of God. Uh, you know, God never gets caught off guard by anything. That's right. And really, your view of Israel really comes down to, I mean, this is ground zero, this text here, for what you believe about what Israel actually is. 
And so let's read this together. I've mentioned this in the past. We're going to get a lot deeper into it tonight and possibly next week. But uh, Genesis 15 is known as the Abrahamic covenant or the covenant of grace, as some have called it. And let's read this together. Super, super important here. Uh, It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abraham in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, Lord God, what would thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine, is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thy own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. You need to underline that phrase, So shall thy seed be. It says, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted him for righteous. By the way, that's the gospel right there, just in case you're missing that. He believed God, and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. We see this even in Romans 4. We'll look at that in a minute. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them. They shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with a great substance. Thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and shall be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass when the sun went down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed I have given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, um, a couple of things here. First of all, um, whenever the Lord promises Abram here in verse 5 that, you know, look up the stars of heaven. He said, I'm going to make your seed like that. But the question is, this is the central question, what is the seed of Abraham? Or who is the seed of Abraham? Is that the ethnic nation of Israel? Is that his ethnic seed? Or is it a spiritual seed? Is, is this talking about the church? Because that's the two positions that people take on this text. And I'm going to make the argument that's actually both. I don't think you can cut either one of them out of the Bible. And what's amazing here, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but you know, God tells Abram, to take all these different types of animals to sever them in half and to separate the halves and make a walkway between them. And Abram didn't act like that was a weird thing to do, which if somebody had told me to do that, I'd been like, what? <laughs> but he didn't, he didn't seem upset by that or confused. He didn't ask any questions. He, he just did it. And it's because Abram understood what it was for because in that day, uh, when kings would make... Uh, covenants or deals with their vassal princes or their nobles or whatever the caste system was, uh, they would 
it was a normal ceremony to cut animals in half. And there was two types of covenants. There was covenants of condition and covenants of promise. With covenants of condition, the king and his vassal would come to an agreement about how many taxes would be paid, uh, the king offering protection, how many crops would be used, would, would you have men fight in the king's army. They would come to terms on, and agree on the terms. They would cut these animals in half and they would join arms and walk through the severed animals together. And the covenant was symbolic of the fact they were saying and giving their word that if I don't fulfill my end of this agreement, let me become as one of these severed animals. It's a very solemn oath. But the covenant's a promise. If the king was going to uh, make a covenant of promise, he would fulfill all of the requirements and all of the criteria of the covenant, and he would walk through the pieces by himself, and he would say, let me become as one of these severed animals. And so God has promised Abraham this seed that numbers greater than the stars. He tells him to sever these animals, and guess what? God shows up, and you see even in our picture in the slide, as a, a lamp and a, a torch, and he walks through the pieces by himself. He was making a covenant of promise. He says, I'm going to guarantee this is going to happen. I'm going to promise you this. And so that's where it comes from. Is this ethnic Israel or is it a saved people, a, a spiritual Israel? Well, tonight, with just the time we have, I'm going to talk about a case for spiritual Israel, which is the church. Although I do believe that God has a plan for the nation of Israel, we'll talk about that more next week. But let, I want you to see this for yourself. First of all, let's go back to Genesis 3 really quickly. Um, when we talk about redemptive history, the very, very beginning has to be Genesis 3 because this is where the fall happens. You didn't need redemption before the fall. And in Genesis 3, you have Adam and Eve that have sinned against God. They've been separated from God. They're hiding from the presence of God. And we know the story. Uh, God is looking for Adam and he says, We're off Adam. It's not that God didn't know where Adam was. God wanted Adam to know where Adam was. And that was separated from the presence of God. And then God shows up and he begins talking to Satan directly, to the serpent. And verse 15 of chapter 3 is one of the most awesome verses in the entire Bible because it's the first mention of the gospel. It's known as the Proto-Evangelion or the first good news. And it says, he says to Satan, God says to Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is a, this is a prophecy of the cross. Christ comes and... On the cross, yes, uh, he was bruised. But by that same cross, he crushes the serpent's head. And there's also been some that have speculated this may even be a prophecy of the virgin birth because biologically a woman doesn't have seed. I find that pretty interesting too. And so uh, we see the first good news, the, the Proto-Evangelion. But what I want you to see is... God is making this promise to Satan. And what does he say? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. In other words, the whole world has fallen into sin now. All of Adam's descendants, they're cursed. They're 
born in a rebellion. They're going to be away from the presence of God. And God says, I'm going to make a distinction between my children and your children. And so we see him promising redemption here. Uh, and it's understand, we've talked about the balance between man's responsibility and God's sovereignty and salvation. And God is absolutely saying that salvation is mine. And understand this, if, if God says these things to Satan, he doesn't have his fingers crossed behind his back just hoping he gets some of these sinners to do the right thing. He'd be in a mess if he was depending on us, wouldn't he? And so that's not it at all. There, God has intentionality in this thing of redemption history. Um, I don't have it on here for the sake of time, but you could, I mean, you could go look at the story of Noah and how you know, God looked down and he saw that the whole world, the whole world was wicked. The imagination and intents of the heart were only evil continually. And Noah was in that group. His family was in that group. The first time the word grace is used in the Bible is Genesis 6 when it says, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God didn't know salvation to Noah. And, you know, people get confused about this because they, they read their traditions in the Bible so many times. But um, I was talking to a guy the other day and I, we were kind of having a disagreement about some of this. And I asked him, I said, why did God spare Noah? His immediate knee-jerk reaction was to say, because Noah was righteous. And I asked him the question, I said, so God is dealing out grace to people based on their righteousness now? If that is true, and it's not, but if that's true, then what we need to do is we need to write some hymn songs to Noah, and at least once or twice a week we need to sing hymns to Noah, because without him we wouldn't even be here. If God wasn't able to look down and find just one man who was worthy enough to carry on the procreation of man and to carry out this seed that was promised in Genesis 3 would all be in a lot of trouble. No, that's what grace is. It's unmerited, undeserved favor. Amen. We see this idea carried through the entire Scripture. Um, but concerning our topic tonight on uh, the church as a spiritual Israel, um, there's no way I can go through all these. You can look at them in your own time, but I definitely want to hit some of them. Let's go to Romans 4. Romans 4, which is really referring back to the event that we read about in Genesis 15. It says, What shall we say then that our father Abraham has pertained to the flesh had found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. You see, people were saved in the Old Testament by grace through faith, just like we are. Um, but it says, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man, unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven, and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this Now here's the question we just asked about Genesis 3. Or, or excuse me, Genesis 15. It said, Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only? That's talking about the Jews. Or upon the uncircumcision also. 
For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believed. Y'all say that. That he might be the father of all them that believe. Though they be not circumcised, that the righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them, who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath, where there is no law, where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end of the promise, might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As is written, I have made thee a father of many nations before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things which not be as though they were. And it says, Who against hope believed in hope, that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. You see that? It says in black and white that this seed that was promised in Genesis 15 is not limited to the Jews. It is given to those by faith. We are the spiritual seed of Abraham. All the saved are the spiritual sons and daughters of Abraham. Very quickly, let's go to Galatians 3. Galatians 3, beginning in verse 6. It says, Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same... Look at that. Y'all just need to circle that. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. And so this is very clearly stating that this covenant of grace and this, this seed that would be greater than the stars of heaven that God promised by Himself walking through the severed pieces. It's talking about the saved from every generation. It's not just limited to ethnic Jews. And if we believe that, we're going to miss a lot of what Scripture has to say about redemptive history. There's so many more verses we could go to. Um, I've got them listed there on the slide. And, but I think you see very plainly what we're talking about. And now, uh, here is, I believe, one of the number one reasons why people have such a hard time with a pre-tribulation position, or even a rapture position for that matter. And that is simply this. I want you to think about this for a minute. From A.D. 70, we've been talking about that on Sunday morning, when Titus came in and destroyed the temple, killed over a million Jews destroyed Jerusalem, and the Jews scattered all through the world, running for their lives. And for almost 2,000 years, there was no such thing as a nation of Israel. It didn't exist. It did not exist. 
Uh, they were scattered everywhere. And Israel is the only people that has been exiled twice and didn't lose their identity. You've never met a Gergeshite or a Hittite or a Hivite. You've never met any of those other ites. They're, they're gone. They're done away with. Not Israel. And in 1948, after World War II, after the Holocaust, when Hitler had killed you know, over 6 million Jews, they got their land back in one day in 1948. We're going to talk more about that next week. But imagine, imagine reading this. Imagine studying these texts that we just read, reading the words that we just read. A nation would have never entered into their mind. They would have never thought about that because there, there is no nation of Israel. And what little bitty Jews are scattered out there, they're not getting their land back. They would have never computed a nation of Israel. But about that time and a little bit before that time, there were people that looked at Scripture and said, it sure does look like God has a future for the nation of Israel, which, by the way, to me, that proves there's validity to it. Because they had nothing in the world they could look at and say, oh, I see this is going to happen. They could look at the Bible and say, I mean, I do see that the church is a spiritual Israel, but it sure does seem like God has a plan for the nation of Israel. Well, in 1948, when they got their land back, then everybody starts scratching their head and saying, wait a second, wait, wait. And to me, the very existence of Israel ought to make us perk up and say, hey, God has to have a plan for those people. There has to be something going on. But the thing is, if you only see Israel as a church, if you think that the, the church has completely replaced Israel, there's no need for a rapture. There's no need for God to go to the Jews and, and uh, the Holy Spirit go to the Jews. and There's no need for any of that. That's why it, so, it's so foreign to their thinking, but I can at least understand where they're coming from. Um, when it comes to the church, the church is a spiritual Israel. I'm going to say this. The church has not replaced Israel. But as of right now, the, the promises that God made to Israel, I believe are being carried out by the church in many ways. And I believe that after the rapture, God's going to send His Spirit to the Jews and they're going to be saved on a national level. And then we become one. I believe that. And I believe that in the millennial kingdom, that's when the spiritual Israel, the, the people Israel, combined with the nation. So you have a, a rule and a realm there. And, and very quickly, I want to read this and then we'll be done tonight. But let's go to Romans 9. I want you to see this. Romans 9. Now, really, if you don't recognize this about the context of Romans 9... It's not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. But when you understand that the Apostle Paul is dealing with a very serious question, the question is this. If God made all these promises to Israel, and Israel has completely rejected Jesus Christ, killed Him, killed the apostles, didn't want anything to do with Him, then how are these promises going to be fulfilled? How is God going to carry out the, the, the seed? And how, how are these things going to be carried out because of the stiff-necked people? And this is the answer. Look at uh, Romans 9. 
Paul says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bury me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom as concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. Now here it is. He's dealing with this now. He's saying it's not like the word of God is not taking an effect. Here's how God is going to fulfill it. And he says, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Y'all see that? Now a lot of people get really uncomfortable about some of the implications and some of the things said about election in Romans 9. And they try to you know, say that this, this is nothing but a nation's argument. It really doesn't fix the problem that they're trying to deal with. But also it says right here in black and white, he's not talking about the nation of Israel. He's talking about an Israel that is not of Israel. That's talking about us, the church. God is carrying out these promises through the church, through the saved, through those that have been called out by the Holy Spirit, who have been born again through the gospel. That's who is carrying these things out as of right now. It says, verse 7, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And so, uh, I think y'all are getting the picture and y'all are getting the idea here. And what should encourage us is, just it, once again, it just goes back to show the power and the sovereignty and the plan and how God has carried out that plan. And God, listen, God is not handcuffed by the sinful decisions of men and women. And I'm thankful for that. Um, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If somebody dies and goes to hell, it's because they rebelled against the God that created them rejected the gospel that would have saved them. But if you are saved, I can say emphatically that God did every bit of it. He chose you. He called you. He regenerated you. He drew you. He sanctified you. He justified you. He has sealed you to all eternity. And so when we talk about this, we're, we're strictly dealing with the sovereignty of God in salvation. doesn't mean we neglect the other. This is just the subject that we're on. And so um, I hope you understand that and can see that. I believe you can. And next week, we're going to look more at Israel as a nation. And really, if you don't believe that God somehow has something in store for Israel, you're going to be tripping over yourself all the way through the book of Revelation. So um, I hope I made sense to you tonight and you have kind of a better picture of the, the issues surrounding the issue.